Welcome to another exciting episode of Seeking Tumnus. My name is Laurie, and I'm joined by the stalwart Patrick Moon. Hello. The stoic Keith Bro. Keith Bro. <laughs> What's up, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Keith Bro. <laughs> and the unflinching Bree. Hello. <laughs> we trek back this episode to 1993, the scary first year of high school for some of us. Hidden away in a gloomy corner of his local bookstore, your host Laurie, who sometimes refers to himself in the third person, has picked out a new book with an attractive fantasy cover by Brian Froud. Quickly becoming a treasured favourite, he would never have guessed he would foist his love upon his friends 22 years later. Before he gets carried away, let's hear from Keith with a spoiler warning. But before he starts, this book is $3 something on Amazon. Just saying. Keith. Warning. This episode of Seeking Tumnus will contain spoilers. Before you listen any further, please get your hands on a copy of this book. We'd prefer if you read it too. This episode may contain death, cute little flower creatures, genocide, a dork, unnecessary hardship, (laughs) philosophical musings, crystals of a dark nature, common words jazzed up by changing a letter or two, (laughs) Fantasy stalwarts and a heartwarming against all odds coming of age tale. But I've said too much. Pat, kindly take us into the world, W U R L D, of Brog the Stoop. I don't think I really need to read anything after that spoiler alert. We pretty much covered the entire text. <laughs> but on the off chance that, that we didn't cover everything, chapter one. The mists hung thin over the tangled tree roots and vines, and the damp air caused the tree bark to glisten and trickle. All was still. From the distance came the low, hollow growl of a hungry gawk as he lumbered through the darkness, and the sound echoed eerily across the whole of Drab World. In the dry, warm hollow beneath the great magna tree, Brog the Stoop heard the sound through the haze of his sleep, and he settled closer to the warm, furry body of his mother, Blid. Patiently, as she had done each and every black time of her adult life, Blid sat and waited for the black hours to slip away, one great furry arm curled protectively around her little one, the other paw gently stroking his head as she rocked rhythmically backwards and forwards. Her huge eyes, now at their largest in the black time, misted with memory as she thought back over the events of the last two moon runs. It had been such an orderly existence until the time of that particular day span. As usual, she had been spending early day-span food-finding with other stoop mothers in an area of the great gloom much favoured for its wild lush bobs. A ground shake was not unusual, and only rarely did one cause any damage, but this one had been different. Not only had it caused four old rock trees to fall, but a great crack had opened across the way which leads to the darkness. Most chilling of all, as the last rumblings had left the treelands of the great gloom and echoed out across the flat, bright plains of the glow world, every stoop had lifted a head in alarm 
peering jerkily, hen-like in every direction, hardly daring to believe what their sensitive eyes were telling them, that the light from the glow world was slowly, ever so slowly, fading. Oh, thank you so much, Pat. Can you reread that about five more times for me, just to illustrate to all of our dedicated listeners just how many times I had to read that first page to actually understand what the heck was going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The the initial sort of stages of a book shouldn't have that much sort of invented language. Yeah, and capital letters everywhere. I found it really tricky to sort of follow what was the main concept because everything is important because everything is mm. capitalized yeah it, it was a bit of a mess and I, I find it difficult to read sort of too i I'm, I'm looking and my brain just doesn't want to connect sort of these words that i'm not familiar with and capitalizations and proper nouns and things where i, I don't sort of expect them to be and it, it just turns into a mess and it, when i first read that first page going into reading the book I was sort of thinking, well, what have I gotten myself into? There is, there, is, there is no way I'm ever going to sort of remember all of this and we're going to sit down and have a conversation and I'm just going to be blank about, you know, what even happened in the text. But it did set a scene and uh, happily, I, I don't think it continued to be quite so dense throughout. Those concepts of the great gloom and the drab world and the glow world are things that are, I, I think they're fairly clearly described later on in the book or, or it, you come to understand? For me, it took a really long time. Look, it took chapters and chapters for me to actually tell what was what, who was where. I found the language really, really inaccessible for somebody who's not a fantasy stalwart. There is a map on the page immediately preceding the first chapter, which I think would have made it a little easier. But, yeah, I agree. It was There was a whole lot of things just thrown at you. So when Pat just read it back then, because I've got context for all of it, I enjoyed it a lot more than I did when I first read it myself. Yeah, I agree with that. The The, the map uh, being one thing, the map shows, what's the world called? Terror Dra- world? Drab world and the glow world. Yeah, so the entire planet or realm or whatever is called terror world. Mm. But it starts with the glow world, which is very bright and lightly coloured and not much shading. And that's where the light source, the valley of light is. And then as it progresses away from that, it shows the glow world and then the great gloom in drab world and then the darkness. So it's sort of like this gradient. And you come to understand later that in the darkness lies the evil and the valley of light is the source of light and life for the world. But yeah, I think the map made it a little bit easier for me to understand. But it's it's one of those fantasy where it's not everything is immediately recognisable. Some fantasy reads like, like just medieval type worlds. And then later on, you might get some strange creature with a strange name, but it's not usually straight away you're thrust into a completely alien setting. This is almost science fiction rather than fantasy, because everything is completely different. Mm. It's kind of backwards in a way through the book. Normally you might have you might be introduced to the world as we know it and then you slowly get introduced to uh, more and more of these uh, the differences, whereas in this book it's the other way around. You get the, their world to begin with, but as it goes, you know, there's humans that are living in, in the, uh, the glow world and there's, there's some more elements that are more normal to us. Mm. It's it's absolutely unapologetic in that sense. It just says, you know, this is this is it. This is the world. So you better get used to it because you've got to get through this book. Um, it doesn't, it, yeah. It, it provides no sort of buffer to the world building or anything like that. It's straight in. And mm. I would have stopped reading this if it wasn't for the podcast. 
I might talk about why I think that's okay. That the point that Patrick just made um, a bit later. Mm. But let's hear about the book because we've only just heard the first page. Bree, why don't you give us the synopsis? Following a ground shake, the light has begun to fade in the terror world, affecting the well-being of the stoop that dwell there. Stoop are principled and generally gentle and require the soft light for their diurnal hunting and foraging existence. However, their predators, the exclusively nocturnal and brutal gawk, seek to extinguish the light forever, plunging all other species into eternal black span. We are introduced to Brog, who, following the death of his mother at the hands of the ruthless gawk leader Red Eye, learns that he is in fact Brog, a royal stoop, son of Stoop Lord Clan, the Golden. He sets off on a mission to restore the light and meets both foe and friend in his quest including the cleverly named half-plant, half-animal known as Planimal, <laughs> who has a telepathic connection with plant life and with Brog. Drab Keeper, keeper and record maker of the events in the Drab world, who pushes the boundaries of his lore to provide some assistance to Royal Stoop himself. Glow Keeper, the great and the good, an almost mythical king-like figure who dies at the hand of the gawk but whose ashes provide a magical pathway for Brog to reach the light. Uh, Moses much? Mm. Jed, a human who Brog meets in the glow world and is seeking vengeance for the destruction of his home and family by the far-questing gawk. Meanwhile, Brog's father has a cunning plan to destroy the gawk egg nests and draw the gawk into the fatal light once it has been restored. Along with Brog's recently rescued future breed mate, Stupet Lin, their friends Pick and Cora and the rest of the Stoop, a gawky siege ensues. Brog, through cunning, the aid of his new friends and some deft Stoop warrior violence, slays Red Eye, restores the light, and the remaining gawk are almost completely destroyed. But one gawk with one egg survives. Is it just me or does everyone else think of stoop kid from hey arnold when when the word stoop is is mentioned so frequently no don't know stoop kid but i did you don't know stoop think kid? this was stupid <laughs> <laughs> no i don't know hey arnold it uh, must be too young for me yeah I'm, i might be dating myself <laughs> <laughs> patrick i'm the one that originally read this book but you actually chose it this this episode why did you choose brog the stoop um because when uh, I was a young lad browsing in a bookstore for fantasy novels with attractive covers, no, I I just ripped off the idea from you, basically. <laughs> You've told me about this book before, and uh, you were sort of impassioned in in your praise for it, and so I thought, you know what, let's let's try something different. Let's go with something that I ha I haven't actually read, but something that's been recommended to me, and we'll we'll sort of put it to the test. We'll put it through the ringer of Seeking Tumness and see whether your recommendation uh, can hold up with the, uh, the the amount of praise that you've heaped upon it. <laughs> oh, 13-year-old Laurie might be coming back to haunt me. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, you weren't 13 when you made the recommendation. You would have been a, a, a young 27, perhaps, mm. but... Uh, um, what do you what do you think? Do you, have I made a terrible mistake or? I don't want to start because I know there's a, there's some people in the group that probably appreciate it less than thirteen, twenty seven, and thirty something year old Laurie did. <laughs> <laughs> so let let's start at 
I don't know if we say it's the top or the bottom. <laughs> Bree, what right. did you think? I'm not going to be that scathing. <laughs> I am. I have a fairly balanced opinion, mm. which starts with me rolling my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and ends with burn this book. <laughs> <laughs> it starts with me rolling my eyes because... I found much of the prose, as I've, as we've already discussed, and many of the names quite inaccessible and a bit ridiculous. And I sort of felt that Joe Boyle, the writer, was actually having a bit of a laugh at times, but I couldn't really tell if it was at us or with us. I mean, phrases like, I am dork and we are stoop and he was every inch a royal stoop. <laughs> But, what is a I mean, surely suit? you guys were like laughing through some of that stuff. Just the ex- the ridiculousness of it. Now, now that you mention it in that way, just now we've talked about it a bit over the last um, couple of weeks. But now that you've mentioned <laughs> mentioned it just now, I remember this funny video about this puppet dog that used to do interviews at things like is this triumph yeah triumph oh, yeah. and he was always talking about stooping lassie <laughs> 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 uh, yeah some some of the names i agree did take take me out of the book dork was one but goth goth was the other one yeah. like yeah. It, it felt like he was trying to take words back even clan with a K, yeah. I, I think that's a bad choice. <laughs> yeah. that, that, there are negative connotations mm. attached to that word. I didn't think of that. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He's trying to take all the words back. <laughs> I just thought, I thought it went a bit long. I thought the quest went a little bit long. But on the strength side, I found that it was an interesting world with some relatable problems. Protection of offspring and survival and defense of their society and the way of life and i think we need to replace you brie with david attenborough so he could come in and say the diurnal stoop <laughs> is protecting its offspring well in my mind it's a david attenborough type person who is the record keeper who is the drab keeper you know that's the kind of role i guess that he's playing mm. yeah um just recording <laughs> the species survival and occasionally giving it a bit of a nudge so that the planimal will react for the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Scathing indictment on the BBC right there. And I thought the construction of the world was good, right down to things like having time measured in heartbeats and so on and so forth. What did you think, Keith? Yeah, um, I, I enjoyed reading this book quite a lot. It took a while to get into it as we've touched on. The introduction was a bit shoving it in your face and it took a while to, to put everything in its place and understand the world that you were reading. But after that, the pacing of the story for me was on the money. I know you said that it felt really long to you, but it didn't to me. I kind of got through it quite quickly, maybe because you were stopping and starting and reluctant to read it to some extent. Complaining bitterly at every yeah. chapter. <laughs> yeah, don't sugarcoat that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Brog. I like the stoop. So I was invested in their in their quest to save their world. Uh, I like the way the way that the the war was fought on multiple fronts concurrently with an interrelationship between those, or ultimately for the health of the light source, which was the future for the brog and the death for the for the, the stoop. Um, sorry, for the stoop, yes, and the death for the. See, I'm, I'm still having struggles with these gorks. <laughs> Say it loud the, and proud. For gork. the gork. <laughs> it was a it was a few weeks back that I read this, and I've read a few books since, so that's my excuse there. Because I was right in the world when I was reading it. The writing style though was a little bit awkward at times, and some of the sentences didn't flow very well, so I had to reread a couple. 
which was just a little bit of a mild annoyance. The language as well, it kind of switched to this formal, traditional, almost Yoda-esque style on occasion with some of the conversations that they were having. Mm. I, I thought that was a bit unnecessary. It felt like it was just trying to aggrandize the content and could have done without that because the rest of the book was relatively easy to read. I did have a favorite quote from the book that I really liked because, yeah, there was some good writing in, in, in there amongst the sloppy stuff. The first had slid to the ground with the look of surprise still on his face, his heart lacerated in a flurry of vicious sword thrusts, and before his legs had stopped twitching, his executors had been in amongst the rows of eggs, slicing the hated pods, making the air redolent with a stench of putrid contents, everywhere the hiss of escaping life gases. Which is effectively the attempted dissolution of the uh, gawk species, which is captured quite nicely in those couple of sentences. There was a few other things I had issues with. The biggest one of those is the return journey of Brog from the Glow World. He's gone on this big... It was absurd. Yeah, he's gone on this big mission to get there and in doing so has accepted assistance from plenty of of beings. Planimal, the Drab Keeper, Jed, just to name a few. But then when he has to return back to, to the um, Drab World he decides that he must do it on his own and risk his life in doing so because of the distance between it and the fact that he can't handle that handle the light with no protection mm-hmm. so that just didn't make didn't make sense to me it felt kind of forced and it was that pride isn't really seen anywhere else yeah it, yeah that's that's what it, it tries to justify it by by you know saying it's part of stoop or the quote is i'm stooped yeah. jed everything i do must be won must be earned must be fought for Every task I set myself must be accomplished. Every problem solved. It is the way we are. And even with that justification, seriously, get some assistance getting home. Yeah. <laughs> the, only, the only apology I can make for that, because I feel I need to, is that what, what hero do you remember from any book returning back home in the back of a, like a horse dung filled cart? <laughs> yeah, the hero, the relatable hero. The problem I had with it too was that he didn't even need to accept assistance. They were like, come on, we'll we'll take you in a box. We'll carry you there. Uh, it'll be all good. And he's saying, no, I'm proud. I can't accept assistance or whatever. Then like, don't accept assistance. Take the box yourself. Like take, carry the box, get into the box when you, when the light comes out, then carry it again the next day. There's, there's no need for anyone else to be there. You don't require assistance. There's a completely practical solution to this that doesn't involve a suicide mission run, you know, for high drama at the end of the book. Yeah, that's what it was. Another nail in the coffin. Well done. Not a nail in the coffin. And it wasn't didn't destroy the book or anything for me. But yeah, it felt like Joe had got to this point and he's like, oh, I'll have to go back to the drab world. Oh, hang on a second. How will I do that and make it kind of dramatic at the same time? And that's what he came up yeah. with. And yeah, it wasn't great. He should have sheathed himself in the skin of his uh, fallen gawk nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking box. Laurie thinks skin the fallen enemies. That's just the way we work. I suppose. Bit of Star Wars style there. And I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> but other thing I did like was the, the leader of the gawk was called Red Eye, which is a, a, a drink, an energy drink that Laurie and I quite enjoy. Um we were mildly addicted to that. We were for a period. Yeah. Thankfully, it's not so readily available now, so we've weaned ourselves off it. <laughs> yeah, so overall, I liked it. Lots of problems with it. But as a kid's book, really enjoyable. Quite a lot of violence in there if you're looking to read this to young kids. But other than that, it was good. You've got to like fantasy. 
Oh. Yeah, or you've got to invest yourself in, you've got to invest the time to get into the world and to understand the concepts in the world. Yeah, I think for me, uh, that's what I loved most about the book. Yeah, sure. It sounds like you people had, um, you people. <laughs> <laughs> you non-fantasy stalwarts. <laughs> well, I'm not convinced it is fantasy. I mean, on the front of the book, it does say point fantasy, but to me, it's almost fantasy cross science fiction because the world itself is really, the more I think about it, the more I like it. I, I was talking about it to someone today and I was describing how, well, it turns out that the source of the light, which early on in the book they thought was just, you know, oh, I don't know, it's the light is the light and no one questions the light. Um, it's always been and always will be kind of thing. But it turns out the light is actually a mechanical kind of construct. And it, it makes me think that this wheel of light that spins on a day and night cycle was actually planted by humans and, and this entire world was seeded by, I don't know, like terraforming humans or something like that. It never explicitly says that, but you have this source of light and all of the world has developed around it and it's a machine. So it makes me think that there was sort of intervention on what could have been a barren world beforehand and then over millennia the, all of these creatures grew. Yeah, it does allude to sort of these higher beings throughout. So I'm sure that's probably fitting with that world that you're talking there. Mm. But I, I love I love what has developed in this world. These creatures that live in the gloom, the, the, the evil creatures that live in the darkness and can't penetrate the gloom during the daylight hours. And then more creatures that live in the in the brighter areas. There's these sort of layered tiers of biology and and some of them are cute, like the little planimal is this little flower that can change from being a flower into this little guy with arms and can speak psychically to Brog and help him out you know, because they've become friends. The, the whole book was very, very Dark Crystal-esque. I've said this in the preview, I think, last week. Dark Crystal is very similar in, in sort of its narrative. You have something is failing in the world and in the Dark Crystal, the Dark Crystal is shattered and it's given the chance for the evil creatures, the Skeksis, to take control of the world and start influencing it. In this, the light is fading and that allows the Gork to start, I don't know, taking control of the world or threaten to control the world. And it's not its not a dry world. It's, it's not just the two main species going at each other. There's all these other little creatures that come up. There's the planimal. There's the, what are the other guys called? Oh, the, uh, the guardians. Or the guardians, something. yeah. They, they also refer to things like mogfish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the guardians are these little creatures that live in the caves near the, uh, the source of the light because they like its warmth and they yeah. eat rock and they also become friends with Brog. And like one of the overarching themes of the book is, is friendship with all of the creatures of the world. And I, I found that all these different types of little creatures added colour to a world. And and for me, that's the, the magic of fantasy in general. You step into a new world, and yes, sometimes that's difficult because you have all these new terms and um, new creatures that you can only begin to imagine as the author describes them. But without Brog the Stoop, none of this world would exist. And that's, I think, why I love fantasy in general, but particularly why I love Brog the Stoop, because it, it constructs a world that never existed before I read this book, but will always exist in my mind afterwards. And I think that's the, the magic of, of fantasy. And yeah, sure, there's the problem with the phrasing of the book sometimes, and there's a few words and names like goth and dork, which just seem ridiculous now to us. Um, and it takes you out a little bit, but... All of that, I think, is transcended by the creation of a living, breathing world that takes me away from this one. So It's just a pity that the stoop uh, 
breeding themselves out of existence. <laughs> yeah. I wondered how you were going to destroy oh. Laurie's touching words there, Brie. <laughs> <laughs> A mathematical quibble. Yeah, all right. So some context there. At one stage, he foolishly, uh, sorry, Joe Boyle, foolishly says that the, the stoop can only have one breed mate and one stoopling, which means you can only have one partner and one child, which means that... Every generation they halve their population. <laughs> at best. <laughs> yeah, at best. Oops. Um, let alone the gawk killing them off. I suggested sort of outside of this pod that perhaps some of the... This was stoop law that made them breed this way and I was suggesting that perhaps some of the stupets <laughs> were... <laughs> they're, they're getting it on the side. Breeding on the side to try and keep the population up while the stupid stoop warriors. warriors were making these silly laws. But anyways. <laughs> Doing their stooping behind the scenes. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> That's right. So, yeah, it's not without its foibles. But uh, what about you, Patrick? Yeah, I, I think I probably fall somewhere in the middle of you and Bree. I think maybe maybe similar to Keith. I enjoyed the book. I thought it was good. I thought the characters, like you mentioned, were um, pretty endearing. And the planimal in particular, or just just planimal, it seemed to be a, a proper noun by the end of the book, was a really adorable addition. And I, I enjoyed that that kind of crossover with Brog's quest and the kind of assistance that was rendered there. It was a, a really nice friendship story that I think would appeal to to younger people because it certainly appeals to me i like that kind of thing but yeah there were there were foibles like you said and i feel like uh, i don't know I, I read the book in one sitting so I, I, that may have sort of sullied my enjoyment of the latter stages of the book but i felt like as we were talking about earlier Boyle tried to introduce this high tension and a lot of sort of dramatic imagery that didn't necessarily need to be there and didn't didn't quite fit with what had come before the, the plot was very much kind of parallel to you know lord of the rings where we have on one hand aragorn and the, the armies of men making their final stand whilst on the other hand you have frodo attempting to to throw the ring into mount doom mm. it, it's very much the same sort of picture here where you have the uh, the stoop armies making their final stand against the the gork against all odds they're not going to survive unless brog completes his quest and brog is meanwhile endeavoring to see the light return to the the world and is fighting his own personal battle uh, on the sidelines and i what made the book really good for me in the initial stages was brog's quest was engaging those characters were engaging planimal was engaging the flora and fauna of the world i really liked but uh, not not so much not so much the stoop armies, not so much that righteous fight to the death, seeking glory kind of stuff. And uh, that, that kind of took me out a little bit. And I felt that those sort of segments dragged on whilst I was sort of saying, well, what's happening to Brog? Like, what's going on with the, the quest that I, I really care about? And to, to sort of ice the, the cake of my disappointment towards the end, Bree mentioned, uh, I suppose, that there was a sudden death of the, the king stoop that sort of came out of nowhere and I didn't think really served any purpose other than drama mm. and an and epilogue that also didn't need to exist other than to sort of pave the way for Brog to the Brogening, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't want to read. It stood well by itself and I don't think it needed a, a kind of... It almost feels cheapened for me a little bit. But yeah, overall, enjoyable, good characters, uh, minor quibbles with some of the the phrasing, the the language. The Kindle edition had a few errant 
letters and characters and things throughout, which it's minor, but it's something that drags you out. $3. You should demand your $3 back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I won't be demanding my $3 back. I did, I did like it. Yeah. Okay, good. On to you, Laurie. Let's hear the defense of everything that we've brought up as a complaint. <laughs> I think that's all pretty fair. The only thing the army's fighting back home, I thought maybe that was just to serve to add importance to his quest. Yeah. He wasn't just racing against the Gork who are racing towards the light source to try and destroy it. He was also racing against the imminent destruction of his families. So yeah, I could have done with a little bit less of it, but I'm glad it was there. I think it was also adding a bit of background to the character of Lin. You've got to be able to believe that they are meant to be breed mates, I guess, if this is supposed to work. Yeah, I I would have happily sort of gone without that entire arc, uh, really, because I never really believed it. I never got into it. The love story just wasn't there for me. I was more interested in, you know, the quest. Mm. It could have just been like a a simple sort of hero's journey. And I think that would have been nice. Yeah, fair enough. I was about to say as well that the the brog, not the brog, the stoop back home were very <laughs> were very quick to assume that brog had failed in his mission, mm. and when they did, they were like, "All right, that's it. Let's just kamikaze it and you know." Yes, but brog was a true believer, so of course he could save the world and he no, it was the his, source of life. He was the son of Clan the Golden. <laughs> of course, he was going to succeed. You sound. Uh... Less balanced with every passing minute, <laughs> despite your proclamations. I feel like I've got to defend the non-fantasy. You're not defending anything. You're on a you're on an offensive tear. <laughs> defending with a sword. <laughs> uh, I didn't think about the link to Lord of the Rings. I think I'd focused a lot on the Dark Crystal because of the of the cover. I mean, the cover was by Brian that did a lot of the concept art for the Dark Crystal. I think that was deliberate. Whoever who's the publisher, Point Fantasy from Scholastic, I think, initially published this book. And I think they probably read the story and thought, yep, this is Dark Crystal. Let's get mm-hmm. Brian and um, illustrate the cover because I think it I think it does have a lot of parallels, you know, with in the same way that Jen the Gelfling was off to um, try and restore the crystal and Brog was trying to restore the light and there was lots of little creatures and adventures on the way. I think there was a lot of parallels there. But, yeah, you're right, there's a bit of Lord of the Rings in there as well. Isn't that a fairly mm. common theme across fantasy books, though? It, it is. It's. I think uh, you know. There's always those really reductionist kind of articles that, all, that say you know there are there are three basic fantasy narratives and every text fits into these. Mm. But yeah, some certainly bear that out more um, clearly than others. I think, and this was a fairly standard kind of representation of that. You know, hero's journey to right some wrong in a faraway land where he must go alone. Kind of, it's yeah, it's it's archetypal. Do we want to talk a little bit about the religious overtones in the book? Who knows what is the light? Brog asked them. Who knows what makes the light? And then answering his own question, no one. His voice was strong and echoed back to him from the dense trees at the far edges of the circle. And so, he continued, we stand helpless as the light dies. We must learn of its sickness if we are to cure it. Dork's voice roared over Brog's head and there was no mistaking his contempt. The light, he cried, the light is and has always been. We will not defeat the Gork by questioning the light. 
So there's the talk of this religious subservience to the light or you shan't question the light. And there's also Car, and Car is supposed to be the, the creator, I think, of the mm, world. The eternal. Yeah, Car, the eternal. And they talk about things like he will be with Car when someone dies and we need to trust in Car, or maybe this is Car's plan. There's a lot of, I don't know, semi-religious or overtly religious, depending on your viewpoint, religious text in the book. Did, did you guys feel that as well? Yeah, definitely. It's kind of... In the way that he pulled in things from the Dark Crystal, Lord of the Rings, it seems that the religious stuff had been pulled in as well, mm. which I think he kind of made it work together for the most part, which is a credit to him. The, the one thing for me, though, um, and the reason I brought it up is initially rereading it as a, an adult and for the benefit of the listeners, I'm an atheist, so I don't generally like too much overt um, religious discussion in books, but... The more I thought about it, the more I thought that perhaps maybe he, the author isn't religious at all, and in fact, he might be the other direction. And the reason I thought that is when they were talking about the light, it's at the beginning of the book is, you shall not question the light. The light has been and always will be and all that kind of stuff. But later on, they find that the light is just a machine. And it's, mm. and it's broken, but they fix it by plugging a hole and, <laughs> and redirecting the light beam onto the source, and yeah, off it goes again. where does the light beam come from? Well... It's a machine, and you might say, all right, well, who created it? Redirect, the machine redirects the light coming mm. from elsewhere. Yeah, mm. and you might ask, all right, then, well, who created the light? And I think that it was, <laughs> I think that it was seeded by human scientists. Yeah, that... it took six or seven days. <laughs> no, I think there's a human scientist or like a, a group of scientists that, it doesn't say this, and I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, I think they've terraformed this world. They've put the light there. They've seeded life, and they've waited to see what happens, which is exactly why they have these two, what are they called, the drab keeper and the glow keeper? Hmm. These two people that are put on the planet to observe the life on the planet, and they're not meant to interfere, and they get a bit sentimental, and they might do that. But I think Carr is really just the human race, um, far in advance of where we are now, seeding life on a planet and then watching how it develops and having a bit of fun. So if you read between the lines, it's actually quite clear that the light was put there by uh, Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> and he fixed it with some uh, duct tape. And <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. To begin with, I was a little bit, ooh, there's probably a little bit too much uh, religious overtones for me. And then I thought about it some more and I came to a very... For me, there was still too much... If you are a true believer, then you can achieve anything in serve of your greater being, right? right? There was a lot you of You know, morality. like a bubble appears to transport Planimal and Brog directly to the Drab Keeper Science. because of his true belief. Science. And the Glow Keeper <laughs> becomes a magic dust that he then casts in front of him and it creates a pathway for him to be able to climb up to the source. Like, I just... Because he is a true believer, he has such an open heart and no questioning, and just you know, it just is. Yeah, right. It's that right. kind of stuff that I think is just a bit extreme. Yeah, it's encouraging to children. What well, is encouraging to children? Yes, children believe without questioning. <laughs> God, I'm on fire tonight. <laughs> when <laughs> when Clan, you know meets his untimely demise, he heads off to the afterlife and meets up with Blid. So there definitely is an afterlife if there was kind of... Yeah, it's quite explicitly yeah. stated, isn't yeah. it? spiritual side. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I can't science away that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I just enjoyed thinking of, of uh, the gunslinger every time car was mentioned. Yeah, get that too, okay. definitely. I'm in the thick of the gunslinger partway through book three now. And yeah, I was definitely drawing the parallels with that. It, uh, it threw me a little bit every time the term was mentioned. I was expecting uh, Brog to, to pull out his revolvers and <laughs> blow away some gawk. <laughs> It's totally lost on us. We, have, we haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> a stunned silence from, from Brian Laurie. There is a, uh, some other parallels to be drawn there. It's, it's someone on a journey to, to the, the life source of the world as it is. Yeah. So, yeah, there's quite a few parallels to be drawn there and it's a fantastic series of books so far. What's a series of books called for our listeners? It's The Dark Tower. It's certainly not for children. By... Um, Stephen King. Right, th- thanks for that context, boys. <laughs> <laughs> does Does anyone else have any points they'd like to raise before we wrap it up? Has this tarnished your your childhood memories, Laurie? I've asked that of other books, but this one I think in particular was was close to your heart. You sort of have heaped a little bit of ridicule on it, but always at the core have defended it. So has this changed your your feelings on the book at all? No, not at all. To be honest with you, I really enjoyed reading it again. And yeah, I had that same experience. The first few pages I had to reconnect with the book. But once I was back on the journey and I kind of knew what was coming and I was excited to meet Planimal again, I, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I, kn- I know it's not perfect, but 13-year-old me, especially if it had to cost three bucks back then, um, I would have been very happy and I'm very happy to reread it now. The same, just as a Spoiler warning, or just a, I guess, a warning against spending a further three dollars. I'm not quite sure I felt the same way about the sequel. Um, <laughs> the Broganing. Ah, uh, I don't even know what it's called. The sequel. I have it rattling around in the back of my head that it's actually called Brog the Stoop Two. Like, is that a thing that authors will do with with books? I think it's something about the revenge or something. Oh yeah, or... you're right. Hang on, let me just check. The sequel is called Brog Two Retribution. And mm. yeah, it's although it's also called, it's got a subtitle, The Return of the Gook. It, it doesn't need a subtitle. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't need to exist at all. And I don't know what Bruce Willis was thinking when he signed on. <laughs> <laughs> definitely sounds like, yeah, diehard. It, it got really weird really quickly. Like the one surviving Gork has suddenly evolved and instead of laying eggs, he suddenly got like these fetuses that he, he raises in a pool of his own urine. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when I, I read the, uh, the the epilogue and saying, you know, there's one egg left. And I was thinking, well, that's not going to do an awful lot. <laughs> oh, no, because they are self-replicating. Uh, what, what's the... Oh, are they yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they laid their own eggs without having to be fertilised. Ah, so they're, they're, they're not into stoops or stooping. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but the thing was that they, they did lay eggs and then they would, lay, um, they would hatch from eggs and they would lay eggs all by themselves. But in this case, it's like, oh, no, he's got... For some reason, this red eye has got an accelerated breeding program going on, and he can just raise like fetuses in urine pools. Like he would pee on the ground, make a pool out of it, and then raise. <laughs> anyway, it got real weird real quick, and I didn't enjoy it very much at all. <laughs> Do you think Boyle was hoping hoping to create like the next children's series that had dozens and dozens of books, and un- unfortunately, he went a bit dark with Brog too, and wasn't invited back? Yeah, I, it was just a it was a bit of a disaster. I think any book with a number in the title can be safely steered clear of. It holds pretty true for movies too. Let's do the scoring. What have you got, Brie? We have three levels. This book should stay in a pile of stupid brog. (laughs) (laughs) This book is a little drab. Or this book shall bask in the warm glow in the valley of life. 
What is a pile of stupid brock? <laughs> so for me, this book should rest on a pile of stupid brog. I don't even know what it means. <laughs> All right, well. Maybe drop the R. <laughs> okay, Keith, what about you? I guess I have to go with the second option. If I had four, I'd go with the third. But, yeah, it wasn't perfect, so it was kind of drab, a little drab, yeah. All right, Patrick, what about you? Oh, um, you know, I, it, it's tough. I'm, I'm probably about a, a 2.5 here. No, I, I like it. I think Planimal pulled it out. It, it's in the light. Definitely in the light for me. I loved it. I only didn't have it in the light because of the scoring system. Sorry, Bree. Uh, <laughs> three it's levels just, just aren't enough For me it was just too inaccessible For somebody who doesn't read fantasy So it's not going to be popular It's not going to be wildly enjoyed And it's not certainly not going to be picked off a shelf By 13 year old me Right? So yeah, I struggled I struggled And look, I read a lot of fantasy these days <laughs> <laughs> Grudgingly <laughs> But I really struggled with this one Even with the Brian Froud cover? Well, actually, I prefer not to have such detailed covers because I prefer to actually be able to imagine and use the words to actually have those pictures in my head before mm. I, I... I didn't actually look at the cover and I had no idea what the stoops looked like. It I was really It looks a bit struggling. like an avatar, so I don't know if that's been yeah. borrowed. This is pre-avatar. Well. There was a link the other way around where we saw that he might have stolen it from somewhere else again from a comic book, actually, Avatar. Mm. But anyway, that's yeah, another that was... story. Quite striking, that similarity. Yeah, so if I had to score it outside of um, Bree's fantastic scoring system, I'd give it a seven and a half out of ten. Okay. Well, that sounds a bit better than I was trying 50%. to force you down the pile of brog. Well, I appreciate it because you did three <laughs> levels there, right? In the same way that the, there was the light, the drab and the darkness. Oh, thanks. I like what you did. Well done. <laughs> Beautiful parallels all over the place. She does love it after all. <laughs> <laughs> Then she takes a spear to the back and dies. <laughs> In her moment of crowning glory. We step next episode out of the drab and into Twilight. More fantasy alert. <laughs> Woo! Stephanie Meyer's amazingly wildly popular novel of dubious quality will be our next book. So feel free to refresh on your sixth or seventh reading of that book. <laughs> And join us in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks, everyone, that has liked us on Facebook and subscribed to us on iTunes. And Hi, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> and especially big thank you to those that leave us comments. It really makes our week. Until next episode, if the light begins to fade in your world, travel, make new friends, start a fight, but most importantly, keep reading. I'm still seeking Wubba dub dub! <laughs>